It is a different way of doing church if you've never done it this way before. I'm sure Life Church is out there right now going, see, I told you, you're going to need us one day and you're going to have to know how to do it. Life Church has done online church for 15 years now or something, and so um, it is, it is an interesting situation we find ourselves in. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5 this morning, and so um, we may not have everything on the screen. You may not be able to see it all, so make sure you have your Bibles uh, with you, and you are ready to follow along in Hebrews 5, and hopefully you have your coffee sitting there next to your hand sanitizer and your loads of toilet paper, and you are ready for this morning. And uh, But the, the truth of the matter is, um, with all of this going on, my house is a total wreck all the time. I don't know about you, but the longer you're at home, the more that you're cleaning up, right? And so I just uh, encourage you, if you are uh, stuck at home, especially some parents that might be stuck at home with their kids, is just to be able to use this time, be able to use this time with your kids and, and, and love them well and really uh, use it as a time to be together and uh, use it as a good excuse to spend that extra time. Um, but this morning, we do have... A, a situation going on in not only our country, but in the world, and it just finally has started to bleed over into America, right, which is usually things that we don't deal with. Um, so just this morning, as we get started, uh, I just want to spend a, just a little time praying um, for those that have been affected. Uh, there have been thousands of people uh, across uh, China and in Italy and some other places, and here in America even, that have lost their lives to to this particular uh, disease. And so I just, I just want us to, to pray a little bit and to pray as God prepares us for this message here that I really think it's something that feeds right into to the situation we're in. And uh, so uh, let's just pray a little bit and then we'll get going. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. God, though we can't gather together this morning, that it's not the, the best idea to gather as a large group, God, we pray that as we gather in our homes, that you would let the, the worship and the word infiltrate our houses, infiltrate our homes in a new way this morning. God, that this isn't a victory for Satan. God, it's a new avenue, it's a new, a new avenue, it's a new opportunity for you to speak into our homes. God, we pray for those that have lost their lives. They're not just numbers. These are people. God, people that if, if they've died without the gospel will spend a very real eternity in hell. God, so allow this to be an encouragement to us to, to learn the gospel, to know the gospel, to preach and live the gospel. God, that is this disease this sickness has begun to infiltrate our own country, God, that it's an opportunity to show a world without hope what hope looks like and what hope is. God, we pray this morning that it's an encouragement to really prompt us to get in your word, God, to realize that there is nothing more important for any of us than the work and the person of Jesus Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we're going to be in chapter 5. I'm going to speak just a little bit to the end, and then we're going to start, go back to the beginning. But the end kind of gives us all the answer. And uh, that's kind of where I'm going to start with, is the answer. Now, just because you get the answer doesn't mean you can go do something else. It means there is a setup. I think in this chapter, the, the writer of Hebrews is setting us up for this particular passage. And I'm sure most of you have heard of this passage in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at um, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Drop down to 14. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Guys, we are in a world and in a situation where we need meat eaters. All right, I know that is not a great thing, but for me as a hunter, I'm a meat eater. And obviously that's not what he's pertaining to, but what he's saying is there are too many people still drinking milk. You guys, this situation we're even in now requires us 
that have been Christians for many years, we should be the teachers. We should be the meat eaters. We should be those that are sharing the love of Jesus Christ, sharing the word and the truth of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, unfortunately, most of these people have fallen deaf to the things of God. And they're still just partakers, right? They're still just partakers of milk. And so when, when crisis and, when, and bad things knock, come knocking on their door, they don't have anything to fight it with. This situation we're in requires meat eaters. It requires people that take the word and they allow it to change them to the point that they can do nothing but share it. And so what I'm telling you is we're going to get to how do we get to that place? What does it look like to responsibly mature in Christ? What, it, what has to be the path? And it's, it's, it's great because the path is very simple. It's Jesus Christ. Our path is no different than his. Right? Jesus came for a purpose. And that was to die for our sins. And we're, as we're going to see about his days of suffering, is Hebrews talks a lot about a suffering Savior. And that's some of what we're going to spend with tonight. But we're going to go back now to verse 1. Okay? So we're going to be, again, Hebrews 5, verse 1. We're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to go back up. But I want you just to think about what it looks like to be a meat eater when it comes to the Word of God. And that the church is not meant for people just to sit in seats and listen to the Word. We're all called to do something with it. So it says, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was called. So also Christ did not glorify himself, so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son. Today I've begotten thee, just as he says also in another passage, Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so it's a, this is Hebrews just is a very deep book, and I think that's why he gets to this meat part, because a lot of the people he's probably talking to right now, it's everything's going right over him. And he's going to encourage people that have become dull of hearing. And so, for the first one, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men. I know Joe has been talking a little about the high priest position. And it's, it's essentially a position that these men were men, right? They weren't special aliens or different things. God pulled men to be the high priest, right? This really, as, as we get into it, is really going to speak to the humanity of Jesus, right? We, we know Jesus is God. But the Bible says Jesus is also fully man. And this is going to set up our understanding of this and kind of what role Jesus would take on our behalf when it comes to our relationship with God. It says the office is established by God, so these men didn't pick themselves. And this person would offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Then it goes into verse 2. And again, Think about this speaking to the humanity of Jesus and how it relates to us and what our Savior looks like. Now again, right here, the priest is human in verse 2, right? So because of that, he's not perfect, right? He's not perfect. He is misguided. He has weaknesses as well. But this allows him to deal gently with those people that he's offering, sin, offering sacrifice for. Now, now, you think, well, Jesus was perfect. Yes, Jesus was perfect. But as we're going to get to in, in verse 8 and verse 9, we're going to get into some things. And I think 
even in the, in the gospel, speak about Jesus learning things. And Jesus had to endure things to get to a certain place. And I know this is to think, well, Jesus had to learn stuff. Jesus had to learn stuff. Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? And just as this high priest, he could deal gently with people. Why? Because he walked the same road, right? And when you think of our Savior, he walked the road. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I know we don't have time to get way deep into all of this theology, nor am I probably the guy to take you there. But we're going to get into a little bit. Jesus understands our circumstances. He understands the road. Why? Because he walked the road. Jesus did it perfectly, though. Jesus did it exactly. He obeyed the Father to a T. But he still suffered, and he was set apart for a particular purpose. And then verse 3 says, And because of he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. So this particular high priest, the, the, the one that is taken from man in the Old Testament, he offers sacrifices for sins. He is not able to forgive sins. Right? He is offering a blood sacrifice to cover the sins. And next year, he would have to do it again. And the year after that, he would have to do it again. And so we're about to see a difference between Jesus and this particular high priest that was chosen in the Old Testament. Right? So verse 4, we get into it, that this person is chosen by God. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. No one takes this honor upon himself. Not to mention, I'm not sure you would want to. I know even as a pastor, my, I used to, as I was trying to decide what I wanted to do as a living, my dad, I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad was, is, is an associate pastor, music minister, and has been my entire life. And I, I asked him one day, I was like, Dad, how do you know you're called to do what you do? How do you know you're called to the ministry? And he just looked at me and he said, if you can go do anything else and be happy, go do it. Because if God does not call you to this road, you will most likely tire and walk away. And these guys were no different, right? This is not a role you want to take on. This is a role that it's like, okay, you're going to risk your life every year by walking in that place. And if you have not done everything that God has called you to do, you will die in there. Right? As Joe talked about a little of that last week, of what that looks like to walk into the Holy of Holies. So this isn't something he takes upon himself, right? There's no committee that's put together, no church vote that's taken. God calls this dude. And then we, we see Aaron spoken of here. Aaron's line starts this priesthood. He's kind of chosen by God to be this initial one and to take in on this initial distinction. So I'm going to read just a little out of Exodus. Okay, and this is going to talk about Aaron and kind of his distinction and even going to speak to a little of what the high priest does and what it looks like to be one. So I'm going to read chapter 28 in Exodus. Verses 1 through 3. It says, Then bring near to yourself Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me. Aaron, Nadab, and Abiha, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and Aaron's sons. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister as priest to me. Okay, so he is set apart. He's chosen by God. He is set apart to minister on behalf of the people directly to God. At this time, you couldn't just walk in. And we're going to get to that a little more when it, when it talks about sin and the seriousness at which God deals with sin. So again, Aaron and this, whoever the high priest was at the time, was consecrated by God. They were devoted to a particular cause, and that was to minister to God on the people's behalf. He was set apart to offer sacrifices to cover the sins. Now this is a, was essentially a picture or a shadow of what Jesus would do, because obviously Jesus was able to forgive sin, right? It took the shedding of blood one time on our Savior's behalf 
to forgive us of sins. Like he didn't have to die every year. He doesn't die over and over again. Jesus was able to do it with his death. So this particular offering of sacrifices is a shadow of what would come. I love it because it, it talks about, you know, the Bible is not a, a rambled up thing of separate stories. It is all very much tied together. It is all a narrative. I mean, you think Exodus was thousands of years written before Hebrews. And yet it is all speaking to a narrative, and that is the life of Jesus and the Word of God. So you have Aaron first mentioned here. And I mentioned Aaron because we're going to mention another guy later on whose name is much more difficult to pronounce. And though we probably could look at this and think, well, this is how pastors are called, right? This is how elders are called. Yeah, I think this could speak to the importance of that call. But I think more importantly, it speaks to the call of all of us as believers. Right? That we're all to take heed of this calling. Because as we, as we give our lives to Jesus, we become part of his royal priesthood. We have the opportunity to share the gospel. We have the opportunity to carry Jesus with us wherever we go. And we can enter in to the Holy of Holies. We can go directly to God because of who Jesus is. And we'll speak again more to some of that calling as we get into this idea of what it looks like to be a meat eater. So we've kind of gotten through kind of this look of what the high priest looked like, what the high priest did in the Old Testament. And I, I think I want to stop and pause for a minute before we see Jesus kind of step onto the scene here and just speak to the kind of the seriousness of sin is what he's getting at here. The seriousness by which God deals with sin. And if we're, if we're to mature in Christ at all, we have got to take sin as seriously as God does. We have got to take sin as seriously as our Savior does, which means it doesn't look good on us anymore. God appointed and consecrated men to give blood sacrifices for the covering of sin every year. Not only did he do that, he gave many laws as how that dude was supposed to do it. He then gave many laws about what he should wear. He gave many laws about who should make what he wears and how they should make it. This wasn't a light thing for God. Dealing with sin is an important and it's a heavy thing to deal with. And I think if we're to mature in Christ, we have to get that. That our sin though forgiven on the cross, should become less and less of a problem for us. It should stink on us. We should no longer wear it well as we mature in Christ, as we are able to tell better and better and decipher better and better good from wrong, we begin to mature in Christ. I think when we look at the Old Testament, I think a lot of times we think God is more merciful and gracious now than he was then, right? When you think of the flood and when you think of all of these people going in and just decimating everything in a country, we think, well, God is more merciful now. I hate to tell you, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's not a different God in the Old Testament than there is now. Sin is just as much a problem for God then as it is now. It's no different. Does that mean God is not merciful and gracious? No, He is. But sin is very serious. And I think as we get to that in verse 9, we're going to see, we either have a choice when we give our lives to Jesus, we're either going to follow that, we're going to follow God, we're going to obey God and live an eternal life with Him that Jesus is able to give us, or we're going to choose to not obey Him which is going to lead us down a road that is a very real place called hell. And we will spend an eternity there. So, with that sobering aspect, I want us to go into this because I want us to see what Jesus had to endure. So we get to Jesus. Steps onto the scene, right? We've kind of dealt with this Old Testament priest a little bit as we'll deal with it more as we move through Hebrews and have in the last bit of Hebrews. 
It says, verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, today have begotten thee. Just as he says also in another passage, Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus steps onto the scene, and get this, not only did Aaron not choose himself, Jesus did not choose himself. Jesus was glorified by the Father. Now, I, I, I get it, there are some pretty heavy theological implications that come along with this, right? So we understand, well, we may not understand. If we believe the Word of God, we believe that God was, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Right? And we believe and understand that God is a triune God. Father, Son, Spirit. He's one, but he's triune. So now we kind of see this idea, this new relationship of God the Father choosing God the Son. We now see God the Father choosing Jesus to take on this high priestly role. Now I think this relationship kind of, it can tend to push our limits in this idea of, of a triune God, of the Trinity, right? That God could choose another part of God for a role. And I am not going to go into breaking all of this down right now, but what I am going to do is I think I'm going to attempt to show you in the Word of God what that looks like and what Jesus had to give up. I think we have to understand that Jesus was called by the Father for this particular role. And it says in verse 6, not only is he the begotten son by the Father, but he talks about this order, this priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, right? So again, we've talked about Aaron and how he was this beginning of the high priest line. Well, if that's the case, how come Jesus was taken from this order of Melchizedek and not from Aaron? So Melchizedek as we're going to deal with a lot more in Hebrews, is only mentioned a couple times in the Old Testament. But I think since we are dealing with him so much, I just want to introduce you to this guy named Melchizedek. And uh, it's okay with you. As I read it, a lot of times I just say this Mel. Okay, I've shortened his name to Mel, and I think that's okay. But let's just talk about him a little bit. So I'm going to read out of the Old Testament. One of the few times that he is... Uh, he is spoken about is in Genesis chapter 14 verse 18 and it says and Melchizedek king of Salem brought out bread and wine now he was a priest of God most high and he blessed him and said blessed be Abraham of God most high possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands and he gave him a tenth of all so you have Melchizedek says the passage says he was a high priest of the Lord Most High. So if Aaron was the beginning, what, is, what does Melchizedek bring to the table? Well, Melchizedek, as it says, was a king. I think should be a little bit of an aha moment as well. Jesus is the king of kings, as we sang about. Right? And so you have this priestly line of Aaron, which is a shadow of, of the things that Jesus would do. And now you have Melchizedek come onto the scene that Jesus is the line of Melchizedek who is a king But he's also a priest of the most high God, right? So now we get into this idea of well, then why Melchizedek? Well Melchizedek if you keep reading in that verse says uh, He brought out bread and wine. I don't think this is a coincidence that Jesus also did what? He fed his disciples with bread and wine. So now all of a sudden you have this interesting combination of this priesthood of Aaron, who was a foreshadowing, right? He was able to cover sins with the blood of an animal. And now you have this combination of this line of Melchizedek, who is a priest of the Most High God, also a king, brought out bread and wine. And this is where we find Jesus, is a combination of these two things. 
right? Jesus is the one able to forgive sins because of the shedding of his blood. And he is a king who every time that we take the Lord's Supper wants us to remember him by bread and by wine. I know, I don't know about you guys, but when I first learned this and I first kind of, I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's such a, it's such an aha moment. It should be such an exciting thing for us. It is for me. Maybe I'm a huge dork, which is okay. I'm okay with that. But to know that the Bible is so tied together and that Jesus has this particular purpose and this whole time, God has got a plan. And he goes into verse 7. It says, In the days of his flesh, the speaking of Jesus, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. So he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. But he's Jesus, right? He could save himself from death. Jesus was submissive to the Father. He wasn't making his own calls. Jesus, again, read those. This verse right here should encourage us as we pray. It should encourage us as we seek the Father that even Jesus, the one who created all things, went to God with crying and with tears, remembering who is the one that could save him from death. I think a lot of times we avoid praying. We've talked about this a little in the men's group. We, we sometimes even avoid praying because why does it matter, right? God knows what I'm thinking. God knows what I'm—he knows. Well, if for no other reason would be to follow Jesus. Jesus knew the outcome, right? But even as we're going to see, as Jesus is about ready to go to the cross, right? Even Jesus is like, hey, I, I, I got, I'm in, but if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus wasn't excited, right, to go endure it. If Jesus was fully God, do you think he'd be like, well, it's not a big deal, I'm God. He's also fully man, which means he understands the suffering that is about to come to him. And he's like, God, if, there is, if there's any other way, let's do that. Then he says, but thy will be done, right? So Jesus says, okay, I would rather this, but I'm going to yield to the Father. And it's the same here. He's yielding to God. Do we cry out to God in the same way? Do we believe that God is the only one that can save us from death? The only one that can save us from hell? And if so, do we cry out to him that way? Do we cry out to him on behalf of the people sitting in the church around us? Do we cry out for him on behalf of those that are across the world that don't know Jesus? Do we cry out for him on behalf of our neighbors, our children? We should. Jesus did. And it says, and he was heard because of his piety, because of his reverence for God, because of his, he feared the Most High God. I love verse 8 and 9, because it really gets into a, an understanding of, of who we think Jesus is. And it says, verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Get that line. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal life. It was the creative pain of suffering that, that taught Jesus obedience to the Father. This is a tough thing to hear because I think a lot of times we think we can avoid this part and still look like Jesus. It was this creative pain of suffering that taught Jesus obedience to the Father and subject to his will. So when we think of Jesus, we don't think about terms like he learned or he having been made, right? Jesus, he came down. He was perfect. He knew everything 
He could do anything he wanted. He was perfect, right? So you're telling me Jesus had to be prepared for this? Yeah, I think that's what the Bible is saying. Though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man and had to learn obedience and had to be put through things. You think of some of the suffering that Jesus went through, right? And you think about his movement from Bethlehem to Galilee and Samaria and Jerusalem and to the cross and to the empty tomb. Jesus was going through a process. Jesus was being prepared for something. God was preparing Jesus. And what is that? To become the source of eternal life for all of humanity. That's what he was being prepared for. Jesus didn't just walk up to the cross and say, I'm ready to take on everybody's sin. Just give it to me. He was prepared for this. Jesus walked this road. You think of some of the suffering. Peter's denial. The death of Lazarus. The disciples' jealousy and fighting all the time. People turning from him. The death sentence that he was given. The agony of crucifixion. Jesus suffered. And it wasn't for nothing. It was so that he could take on the sin of the world and become salvation for those of us who would obey him and follow him. So understand this, I think, that we can take from this. Is this idea of salvation, God doesn't take lightly. It's not poured out indiscriminately on those who obey and don't obey. Those who follow and don't follow. Right? Salvation is a free gift. We are saved by grace. Through faith. Not about us. But there is a slight stipulation. When you think about everything that Jesus suffered, and what he's asking is, give your life to me, obey me, and you will have eternal life with my Father. And that's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't take it lightly. Like, oh, you know, everybody thinks they can live however they want and think, oh, I'll get in. You know, I'll get in. Jesus doesn't say that. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are called to obey him and follow him. And trust me, in a world that we live in now, you know, you think in America, man, this thing's really, you know, these kind of sicknesses and stuff, they take place other places. They don't come to America. You know, we're in America. We can handle it. Especially Texas, right? We're Texans. I'm just kidding, I wasn't born here, but I, I take it as home. I've been here a while. And yet, here it is, right? It is knocking on our door. And if we choose to not obey him, we will not have the hope to give to a hopeless and dying world. We are called to obey and I think we are marked by our obedience, as Jesus was. Our suffering, the things that we endure through life, is bringing us to that point of sanctification, to making us look more and more like Jesus. So don't look at this picture of Jesus and say, man, thank goodness he had to do all that, and I don't have to do it. Now that's true. We're, we don't have to walk that road to Calvary. Right? That is the gift. We can't pay for our own sin. But trust me, we live in a world that if we are going to be salt and light, we will suffer for it. We will pay a hefty price for it. And it says most of the time here in America, we like to insulate ourselves from as much suffering and as much of that as we possibly can, right? You know, as, as parents... It's very difficult to, to watch your kids go through something that is difficult for them, right? It's difficult to watch them stumble and fall and make mistakes. But do we let them endure some of those things? Do we let them deal with the bumps and the bruises that come along with it? Because it's preparing them. Just like our bumps and bruises are preparing us. 
Now, don't get me wrong. This life in Jesus is a good one. He promises it will be. But along with that comes times in our life that give us an opportunity to mature in Christ. And we can insulate ourselves till the cows come home, but the world's coming to knock. And we've had situations within our city, within our community, the world's knocking. Are we listening? And then we get to our final bit of verses here. We're going to kind of get, uh, I'm going to be honest, by the writer of Hebrews, who is, does this in love and even talks about how much he loves these people, is going to just hammer us. He's going to be very frank about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we're going to keep going. We're going to be in verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good, to discern good and evil. So what, I mean, he's very, being very frank. He's saying, of this stuff and of more, we want to teach you, but you just become dull of hearing. They've insulated themselves enough against the world and have become to look like the world in a way that they really can't hear the truth. They've become incapable of learning because they are afraid of the cost of what is taught. Right? What we just read... It's not an easy read as Christians. Jesus paid a price. And if we walk the road of Jesus, we're going to have to walk through some things that are going to cause us to look like him. But oftentimes, the cost isn't worth it for us. And that's what he's saying. These people have become dull of hearing. He's being very frank, right? So... I'm going to share a small story. So when it gets to verse 12, and it's talking about this idea of teachers. When I was a young pastor, I'm, I'm still pretty young. Don't let the gray hair fool you. I'm not quite 40. I'm getting there. But when I was probably 22 or 23, uh, I was in a, a church in Indiana, and I became, I was commissioned. I was the low man on the totem pole to become the halftime commissioner for upward basketball. Have any of you ever been a part of Upward Basketball? It really is a great, it really is a great thing. It's a great ministry, and we, we did it really big at the church I was at. But I got called to be the halftime commissioner, which means I was essentially commissioned to get volunteers that at halftime of games, they would share five to seven minutes of their testimony of a gospel. Some people would sing a song or whatever, and I was commissioned. I was like, shoot, this is not, I got the easiest job. I got the easiest job. We have a church. At that time, we probably had 500 people on a Sunday morning coming to that church or whatever. I was like, man, this is nothing. I'll get people signed up, and it'll be done. I think it was, it was the biggest eye-opening experience for me in, in young in ministry and young in the church in a lot of ways. It was the hardest job in the world, which should be saddening for us. I started to go to people, and I would be like, hey, can you do this halftime? You know, five minutes. They're like, I don't. Well, I, I mean, is there going to be people there? Yeah, there's going to be people there. I, was, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I wouldn't have anything to share. And I would just think, man, I'm 23, nothing special, and I could get up there and share for five minutes. You've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years. And you're telling me you couldn't stand in front of a crowd of people just waiting to listen to you and expecting to hear the gospel from you and you can't share with them? Man, it was like somebody ripped my heart out. 
that I couldn't find. I ended up covering like six of those weekends myself because I couldn't find people. And I'm thinking, so this is the church. This is the American church. For five minutes, we couldn't share. And before we jump on those people, think about yourself. Could you do it? Crowd set up. They know you're going to say something. They know you're going to talk. Could you share for five minutes what the gospel has done in your life? Could you share for five minutes what God is teaching you this week? Well, no, I don't. I don't talk. In, I don't. I don't talk in front of people. I don't. I don't. I don't see much room for that here. I don't see a room for. Well, that's not my personality. You just have that personality. Man, when I was little, I was scared. My, my mom made us sing on stage. I hated it. I hated it. I was the shyest person on earth. I hated it. And somehow God has brought me to this place to, I'll pretty much say anything from up here. But could you do it? And I think that's what he's saying here. How many of us have... How many of our churches are filled with people been Christian for 50 years? And they're still drinking milk because they have refused to obey what God has called them to. As Pastor Joe said, it's not about numbers, but why aren't there more people here? Why aren't there more people? My question, why aren't there more people teaching the Word of God? Right? These things... They're not abundant all over the world. You know that. And yet most of us have five or six of them sitting in our houses, right? We have it on our phones. Why aren't there more teachers of the word? Why are we afraid to share the gospel? Guys, pastors have a particular calling. I get that. To equip the saints. And maybe part of it is we haven't done a good job in America as pastors to disciple our people but we should all understand that we will stand before God by ourselves your pastor won't be next to you when you stand before God but I pray Jesus will be and whether we are gathered here or scattered out there we're called to teach the gospel we're called to teach about the person and the work of Jesus Christ you think about even in our churches. When we talk about, let's talk about marriage statistics or family statistics or some of those things. I know we like to think, well, the numbers really aren't that skewed. They are. The numbers inside the church, unfortunately, are very much similar to those outside. When it comes to divorce, mental illness, diagnoses, why don't we look different? It says, verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And I'm going to tell you right now, milk is a great thing for a baby. But milk is not enough to combat the world that is knocking on our door. Right? I mean, the Bible even talks about if you are young in the faith, it's probably not a good idea that you go get into an argument with someone that you go get into some. No. There is a process for becoming mature. And unfortunately, a lot of these people who started on milk that he's talking about are still on it. I don't know about you, but have you tried to drink milk only just for an extended period of time? It could only go so far. Especially for me as a meat eater. If you tell me I could drink milk only for the next week, we're going we're gonna to fight. And I'm going to take care of it. But literally, milk is not enough for the world that's coming at us. Not for us to be able to endure it. You think even Jesus had to endure things so that he could endure the cross. We're no different. And then he gets to verse 14, and again, this should be our encouragement. Because wherever we are on our journey right now, meat can be in our future. 
you teaching the word of God and maturing in your faith is in your future. It is an option you have. Meat gives us the ability to discern good from evil. But solid food is for the mature, it says, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. This is called living the Christian life. We can't come here on a Sunday and go live the life we want to live out there and be meat eaters. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice, it's not about living it in here, it's about living it out there. Our Christianity is not proved in here. It's proved out there. In the world. And when we become trained and disciplined to tell right from wrong, and consistently begin to obey right over wrong, we are moving responsibly towards maturity in Christ. It's not going to happen overnight. This isn't something that we just wake up with. This is putting our faith into practice. This is living Jesus in here and taking him out there. So I just encourage you guys in this to look at the life of Jesus and to know, man, we have the opportunity to follow our Savior. And God is preparing us if we'll allow him to. If we don't run from the hard stuff, both in our lives and in the lives of others. God is preparing us. And he's going to give us the opportunity to share with those in the world that are knocking at the door. Because the further and further along we go, the more hopeless the world seems. I'll give you that. And yet we are holding it. But the question is, are we content sitting in our comfortable seats, drinking milk every Sunday, or are we encouraged to mature in our faith to a point, man, I could do this. I could teach the Word of God. God is showing me things. I'm putting this stuff into practice, and all of a sudden, we begin to hear. All of a sudden, we begin to realize the cost is worth it. So I just encourage you, as we wrap up here, it is not all bad. We have a hope. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. We have a hope that this world needs. We just need a mature faith that is going to allow us to share that. It's going to allow us to walk the road to look more like Jesus. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. God, I pray that this was an encouragement to all of us. God, that the person and work of Jesus Christ should be on the forefront of our minds and our tongues and our hearts always. God, that this thing we call Christianity wouldn't be something we are sometimes but it would be something that consumes everything about us. That above all, we pursue pursue you and your word, and we pursue a lost and dying world with the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus left his disciples with that. Go to all the world and make disciples, baptizing them teaching them all that I commanded you. Then he says this, I'll be with you to the end. Remind us of that, that you were fully God and yet fully man. You walked the road that we walk, that we can trust you. Why? Because you understand. And you suffered as we suffer. God, we pray that we would learn to call out to you as Jesus did that that would not be a minimal ritual, God, but it would be something that is magnified in our lives and that we do often in 
seek you. God, we pray for our world and our country and of the things that are happening. You know, this is no surprise to you, no secret. We pray that we would carry the hope with us. Give us opportunities even now to share the truth, to share the hope, to love people well, to serve people well. There are opportunities. And it would probably be easy at this time to kind of just think of ourselves and protect ourselves that we would look for others and look for opportunities. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. So I just have a, a couple announcements and then we'll let you guys go and you can, um, I don't know if you may want, some of you might want to get dressed now and move on with your day, I don't know. Some of my kids have been in their pajamas for like the last, I don't know, four days. So, um, But a couple things, just a reminder, and this is definitely to our members that um, continue to give. There are things that will continue to take place uh, ministry and uh, just operational things day to day that don't stop because uh, we're quarantined, okay? So just, that's again, to our, to our members and those that are committed, please make sure you continue to do that. Um, some other things uh, I just want you to be aware of as we move forward, that as of right now, we would still like to be in place. Our Jenny Lane Easter is coming up, and uh, so just be thinking about ways that you could be a part of that. I know you can't sign up right now, you could email in if you would like to sign up, and we can put your name on the list. But that's April 5th, Saturday, uh, April 5th, and it's at 4 p.m. It'll run 4 to 5.30, um, and we still need volunteers for that, our Jenny Lane Easter. Uh, we have two Easter services, uh, Lord willing, this year. That will take place on April 12th. But, uh, we have a service at 9 and then a service at 10.30. This will be, the, I think, the first time since the theater that we've had two services, first time in this building, so... Um, we're excited about that, and we, we do pray that we will all be able to be here for that. So remember, two services.